0: But everything we say is actually accurate, it's yeah. just the numbers are bigger <clears throat> over time. Right,
1: right, right. All right, from the top. Welcome to Footnotes, a history podcast focusing on forgotten moments, people on the wrong side, and those who lost. My name's Mark, and I'm joined here with my best friend, Kevin. Oh, and I think that this is our first episode recording in person again, post-quarantine, right? This is our second one. Second one. Uh, we, our episodes are so out of whack. We, we do things so infrequently these days. And we're still like five months ahead in our episode schedule, so.
0: Yeah, we're doing fine.
1: Oh, I remember what it is. I just finished editing our first quarantine episode. Yeah. The first episode where we recorded separately. And it turned out surprisingly well. Um, I enjoyed it. It was easy to edit because there's no microphone
0: bleed. And you guys can be aware that I could only hear like two seconds after Mark spoke every time. So I had to kind of assume what he said. I'm pretty sure I assumed correctly most of the time because I think it came out well i don't know
1: write in if you if you if you felt otherwise (laughs) from the episode that came out six months ago by the time you're hearing this yes anyway so we're gonna jump into it and i'm really excited because this is another one of those episodes that i'm not completely sure what we're talking about like i think i might have an idea but i have no idea so we're gonna jump in but before we do uh we've said it before and we'll say it again if you like this show send it to somebody you like send it to one of your fellow survivors in whatever um solar powered encampment you, you you live in these days, uh post the fall of everything. I hope these jokes are still funny in six months. <laughs> They're kinda of funny now. But anyways, send it to a friend. Send it to a rival faction fighting over oil. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You make it so difficult to start some of these episodes. Like I just have to ignore what you said most of the time to get think, started.
1: Think of them as like cold opens in the office. Like like Jim puts Dwight's stapler in Jello, and then you cut to like 15 seconds of a uh, of theme song, and you come back, and it's a stapler on the desk. It doesn't matter. Is it canon? Yeah. Does it matter? No. Don't worry
0: about it. What's well, a stapler, not a canon?
1: <sighs> yeah. Don't disappoint
0: me. Yeah. So we do have a fun episode today because. You know, right now escapism is uh, and going out into nature is something that I think a lot of people are doing. You know, most people I know have gone on a backpacking or camping trip within the last couple of weeks, as everybody kind of wants to get out and get away with the media frenzy that's been surrounding us here in July of 2020. And we get to study one of m- I got to study and we get to talk about one of my all-time favorite people in history and one of the most just entertaining and interesting people, um, Theodore Roosevelt. So. One thing I will not be doing is I will not be calling him Teddy Roosevelt because he hated that. He actually called himself T.R. or the Colonel. That's what he preferred, and that's how he's re- referred to in real literature about him.
1: Well, and he called himself the Colonel.
0: Yeah, and it was a huge part of his like his, in the third identity. person. Um, like if he if, if he no. gets up in the morning, he's like the Colonel wants breakfast. No, not like that. He was referred to as the Colonel and told people he liked it. Oh, okay. he he signed his name T.R. He was the T.R. That, the the T.R. No, just T.R. T- but T.T.R. He, think how many people have that could have that initial sure. he, he was the one who was signed and I've read a lot about it you know when I wrote my master's thesis he was one of the main um participants because I wrote about the spanish-american war which he fought in and actually killed a man with his bare hands during this war I mean and he wrote about it in his diaries how he killed a man by beating him to death and he wrote about it with his bare hands yes he did and he had bare hands he was massive no and and fuzzy but he was fuzzy. I've seen he became, pictures. Think about it this way, though: he became president two years after he killed a guy in battle with his bare hands. This is this is to me so indicative of the time he lived in, and hey, so that's,
1: that's also why I voted for Bernie Sanders for that time he killed a man with his bare hands.
0: Exactly. But you you can kind of see how we are dealing with a a guy from that pre World War One time period that is fascinating to a lot of us because of just the brave to foolhardy actions he would do just for the sake of that's what men did at in his time. And today we have a true footnote story because I don't think many people know about this story. Teddy Roosevelt, which I said I wouldn't call him. That fell apart quickly. We're like, what, three minutes into the episode? He, there's a reason I'm trying to dimin- diminutive him, to use an adjective as a verb, Uh, Theodore Roosevelt. You can't verb an adjective, man. You can if you want. Okay. You can do anything in English. (laughs) That's true. Roosevelt tries to conquer a river in his 50s. With his bare hands. Pretty much, yes. In the Amazon (laughs) because he was depressed. That is the summation of the story we're talking about. So the... Shortest of backstories of what's happening here is a lot of people don't know, but Roosevelt, we do know that he was president in 1900 to about 1908. He was actually vice president to William McKinley. William McKinley gets assassinated by an anarchist. Um, and then in 1901, pretty much at the very, very beginning of McKinley's term, I think he was only president. It was his second term. he's only president for like six months. Roosevelt becomes president. He basically gets a full term. And he immediately is popular. He immediately um, you know, puts that classic Roosevelt vigor into government. He he does tons of reform. He he just he does a lot. And it would, this is not the purview of our episode, but he is very popular, easily wins a second term. He he ends wars, he expands foreign policy, helps set up the Panama Canal, and he really thought he had done his job and he could have run again. He actually could have run infinitely. It wasn't until his cousin, Franklin Roosevelt, had four terms that they actually capped presidencies. Before that it was just kind of a handshake idea but Roosevelt just passes on the torch to William Howard Taft and then they Taft becomes president in 1909 they start to disagree and Roosevelt runs for president again in 1912 and he runs as a progressive candidate that was the name of his party it's the beginning of the progressive movement as we know it today though it comes from the republicans at the beginning and he they call it the bull moose party because during a speech as a progressive candidate he gets shot he gets shot basically in the heart, but he has such a thick speech because you not see he had such bad vision that the speech more or less protects him, but the bullet does stay and you know, wounds him. He gets up and continues to speak and says it takes more to take down more than that to take down a bull moose, and so he became leader <laughs> of the bull moose party. Well, as you'd expect, whenever a party, even if it has 65% of the vote, if they split the vote, you're going to see the other party win. In this case, it's the Democrats win, Woodward Wilson becomes president. He uh, leads the country poorly for a very long time. Shade thrown at Woodrow Wilson. I despise Woodrow Wilson. Um, the T. Maybe one. Some. I'll probably anger people because he's one of those super idealistic people that a lot of historians like because they think idealism actually solves problems. But that's not the point. <laughs>
1: We're in twenty twenty
0: now. We don't. We don't. We don't cop to that. No. By splitting the party, Roosevelt becomes an absolute pariah. To the political establishment that was previously supporting him. His party falls apart within about two years, the Progressive Party does. As an independent party, they all go back to the Republicans, a few of them split to the Democrats. Why that's important is he is completely isolated. This is a you know, really active, personable man who knows a lot, has lots of friends, he's well-connected with society, he was just president, and now he's sitting at home incredibly depressed. And that's not something you would think about with Theodore Roosevelt, a man depressed, but he actually dealt with poor health and depression his entire life. His older brother drank himself to death because of depression. His older brother's daughter, by the way, is Eleanor Roosevelt, who married Franklin Roosevelt. So that's the connection between the two Roosevelt's. Oh. So Eleanor Roosevelt's maiden name was Roosevelt. They were cousins. They were all cousins. They are oh, all Roosevelt's. There it is. They're fifth cousins, Franklin See, and Theodore. But
1: Us, us in the British mar- monarchy, we're not so, we're not so yeah.
0: different, you and I. But my point is, when Roosevelt felt that he needed to get himself out of that depression hole that I know a lot of people in our modern age understand, we seem to suffer from that to greater extents than people in the past did, or maybe they did and they just didn't define it properly. Um, His way out of that was to go and conquer nature, basically. It was to go out and put himself through some major ordeal. That usually meant going on some form of hunting trip. He had done this when his first wife and mother died on the same day. He just simply vanished to South Dakota so he could live out a ranch-style life. Um, during other difficult times, he went to Africa and did big game safaris, and there's those famous pictures of him you know, surrounded by dead rhinos and things like that which as much as you want to criticize that, they weren't endangered then for one, and two... Not before it, he got there. Not before he got there. And two, it gave him an idea of maybe we should be putting zones of protection for these animals so he...
1: To protect them from Teddy Roosevelt. To protect them
0: from himself. And it, <laughs> and that's, that's an important thing. The idea that you know we can conquer nature but also preserve nature was one of his first... He was one of the first politicians that had enough power to actually act on that though national parks had existed since the 1880s he was again present about 20 years after that but he basically gets an idea from a friend of his is a catholic priest um, father Zom z-a-h-m father Zom is one of the few guys who was still actively friends with him after he had messed up the 1912 election which he got second in by the way um so they should be mad at the other guy Kind of, yeah, you, you kind of see he's the spoiler and right, sure. the way politics gets shaken down yeah, like
1: that. I, I'm aware of why they blame him, but I'm just saying, if you got more, if you got more votes than the other guy in his split, be mad at the other guy for being a crappy
0: candidate. Yep. And then s- second-term presidential candidate. There you go. That's got third. That doesn't really happen very often. No. This father's- arm guy says, why don't you come down with me and we'll go tour South America? We'll go to Brazil, Uruguay, Paraguay, Chile, all those different countries. Father all... Zom does sound the kind of guy who's about to give you ayahuasca. A little bit. <laughs> but Zom was this kind of celebrity priest. He was this guy that was... He was a... <laughs> I know, that's a thing in this time period. Oh He's very God, much a dandy, a too. Was he, on,
1: was he on Instagram?
0: Oh, yes. The version of Instagram back then, which is probably like some Harper's Weekly. Ayahuasca. I don't even know what that is. What?
1: Ayahuasca. It's uh, It's like this, like... Uh, ritualistic, um... It's a drug, right? Yeah, it's, it's like a tea you drink that's very common in, like, South America for, like, vision trips, or vision quests and stuff like that. But you get, like, a shaman or somebody, uh, to be kind of your, like, the guide through your, like, vision quest journey thingy, where you basically drink this, like,
0: intense hallucinogenic. This is nothing like that. Yeah, but Father Zom taking you to South America sounds like you're about to take some drugs. It's actually a little bit more, this is a dandy who wants a traveling buddy who is famous. So that he can go to all the famous fancy dinners, the pastor or the the, the priest, the priest. So the priest is. T- Sorry, you said celebrity, and now my head is in pastor mode and not priest. mode? I call him a celebrity because he was a writer and a traveler, and he, um, you know, he's one of those guys that he's not really doing much priesting. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. But sound he's an ordained like it. priest.
1: Doesn't sound like it. Was he was he really good at uh, recommending wines? Was he a uh, zamalier? Honestly, as
0: far as I can tell, yes. Ah, yes, the the pun works. Because what Zahm wanted wanted to do was to bring Roosevelt with him so he had a celebrity, so he'd get into all the fancy state dinners and drink the nice wines and chat with all the famous people and enjoy high society. And so the idea was, why don't we just go down to South America and you'll do a speaking tour. At this time in history, most South Americans are actually very anti-Roosevelt, because Roosevelt said, we are in control of you. You are in our sphere of influence. It's part of Roosevelt's foreign policy. And mm. for obvious reasons, they said, no. They were like, but what about sovereignty? And he was like, America. Exactly. This is the first like Murica kind of foreign policy that you see. And so he's going down there to kind of defend himself to a certain extent. And in many instances- it's like a PR tour. They um, protest, like Chilean students do this. And they, people protest him being there just like people still kind of do in college he does love student protests. Really early on in the trip, he does his, he's, in the beginning of his speaking tour, he's meeting lots of very famous dignitaries in Brazil and um, in Argentina and Uruguay, and just down that, the, the convergence of those countries. And one of these dignitaries says, why don't you go explore an unknown river? Like, that sounds like something that you would like to do. And it was just a passing comment. And Roosevelt takes a look at the guy and goes, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, and completely changes his trip. Instead of just going on this relatively safe tour, where a nice side effect is he gets to see his son, and you're gonna laugh at his name. His son's name is Kermit. This is before Kermit <laughs> the Frog, by the way.
1: It's so obnoxious that you called that I was gonna laugh, and there was and I was prepping to not laugh and make a joke instead, but like even believing in. Infinite universes and like branching realities. I don't think there's a version of that where I saw Kermit
0: coming. <laughs> so Kermit Roosevelt. Kermit Roosevelt. Ker Kermit Roosevelt. But Kermit Roosevelt is actually a very pretty impressive man. He's down in Brazil building bridges in the Amazon. Well, yeah, it's not easy being green. It's) <laughs> <laughs> So we, we got to get over that because Kermit is an impressive guy in this story and he's you know, he's Roosevelt's son. And Roosevelt's an impressive guy too. All of Roosevelt's sons, he has four sons are just as in, they're just as intense as their father. And Kermit's definitely on the Roosevelt's brother side of the spectrum. The tends toward depression needs to have something challenging him and he's always under pressure because if he kind of lets himself stew, he just starts to drink himself to death. That's Kermit Roosevelt. So he okay. has to be put in a situation where he is challenged to a ridiculous extent. So he goes to- He's not quite as easygoing like his brother Fozzie. Exactly. There are actually, there's like a Fozzie Roosevelt of the brothers. Theodore Roosevelt Jr. is the easygoing Roosevelt. Oh, oh, I thought you meant name-wise. I was going to be no, so
1: happy. But I was like, I was like, did Jim Henson just name his entire cast after Roosevelt's family? I wouldn't be
0: surprised. I mean, there's always <laughs> be amazing. a lot of that.
1: I do love that they do have a Fozzie, like a, a really like easygoing, chill Roosevelt who like, looks at the rest of his family like conquering things in South America and is like, oof.
0: Well, I mean, easy I going deser-
1: dinner reservations.
0: As Roosevelt's are because this guy was a general during uh, D-Day and he, <laughs> with a severe heart condition and a walking cane, caned his way. He was only like 60 because all the Roosevelt's were in terrible health. He caned his way up the beach, getting sh- under fire by machine guns in the first wave of why D-Day. Is,
1: <laughs> why is this the chill Roosevelt Because
0: he did it with a smile. (laughs) Whereas Kermit would have done it with a (laughs) grimace And whiskey, apparently. And a lot of whiskey. And been shooting the entire time. (laughs) Whereas Roosevelt was just encouraging the men as they got shot around him. I'm
1: a little mad that we're doing... An episode on only one Roosevelt. We should do an entire Roosevelt series. I thought two Roosevelt's was enough Roosevelt's
0: because both of these know. guys are accurate. Because it sounds like there's a lot of Roosevelt stories to be worth, that are worth sharing. I'm going to try to share many of them as I'm currently sharing them because they're so oh, So we're just awesome. burning through way too much content in one episode. Well, if you let me finish my talking about Kermit, no. I would not get there. <laughs> okay, so. fine. Talk about Kermit. Kermit Roosevelt was in Brazil, and he'd been there for a while so he could live that risk-taking life that he wanted. He wanted to build – basically, he was a bridge builder in an extremely dangerous area. He had recently just gotten over being um, basically hit by a bridge. That's the only way I can really describe it is as he was building a bridge, part of the structure collapsed, and he got hit by the thing. And it was one of those where an inch to the right, inch to the left, he would have been immediately killed. But all things being what they were, he won in the fight between him and him and the bridge. Yes. The bridge was gone. He was not. God, the Roosevelts, man. Yep. So that's one of the reasons Theodore Roosevelt wanted to be down in Brazil. He gets to see his, his son, who has kind of disappeared for a while. They've been writing letters to each other and all that. Um, and then... He's been sending in the scalps of bridges. <laughs> but the re- result is... He's still very upset and depressed, and he didn't find the speaking tour, though he hit you know did it with his full, you know, strength of character and all that. He didn't find it very enjoyable. He, did he didn't get like shot at all during dinners. it. No, maybe that was the problem. He did have to like, you know, confront massive angry crowds, and then at the end, there's stories of him you know having people protesting at him, but by the end of the speech, they're actively applauding him. He had a, an ability to sway people, and what we're going to see is his leadership and charisma is unbelievable. Everyone knows, and I think in with the people we have met in our lives, we, we've always met a couple of people who have that ability to walk into a room and just they control it immediately. The room is theirs. They have that presence, that leadership quality. Roosevelt was so naturally in charge, and the way he did it wasn't with chutzpah. He didn't come in there and he just dominated. He dominated by being really nice and friendly, by not talking about himself. He dominated the room by knowing your name, even though he had only met you six years before. He asked people about their lives and their experience, and it wasn't surface. It wasn't a gilded approach. He legitimately just wanted to know things about people because he wanted to know things about the world. He read non-stop. He read to the point where his baggage train that he brings on this trip is probably half books by weight, and he reads books To the extent that if you asked him about a topic, he simply had an idea about it. He was incredibly smart. And he had done this because if he didn't, he would fall into a depression that was severe. So you have this impressive man. And when he's presented with this sit and talk at meetings all day and drink fine wine or go conquer nature, this is not a man who wants to do the easy. He wants to do the hard option. And so he spins around and says, all right, let's organize this trip. There's a lot of finagling with the, the cargo and things like that. But they, they get a guy named um, Anthony Fiala who had been an Arctic explorer who actually had a majorly failed Arctic exploration. I think the Ernest Shackleton exploration except everything goes wrong and they only survive because they just luck. So this is the Wait, guy. hold on.
1: What happened on the Ernest Shackleton one then? Because that feels very similar,
0: except maybe a little less luck and a little more like good leadership. Imagine if the they didn't get the supplies off the boat. Oh, that's what happened to Fiala.
1: So basically, the one worst thing that could have happened on the Shackleton one. But that's a really big difference. Well, yeah, I, I'm not I'm, lose, not. I'm not discounting you I'm that. Just, you I'm you just. I'm just
0: everything except you're and you're sitting on top of pack eyes with no food, and no gear. That's what happened to Fiala. and they only survived because they just. They basically were stranded five miles from a depot, and they they just scouted their area, and they're like, "Yeah, there's a cabin full of food that we can just go live in." That's what that's the man who was organizing this expedition, okay? Foreshadowing.
1: Yeah, no kidding. It sounds a little bit like it. Sounds like you should should have taken Ernest Shackleton instead.
0: Well, this is, by the way, 1914 is when the story is taking place, which is when this Ernest is, Shackleton's is doing his thing, too. That's, that's what I was going to say. He's, he's, he's available, right? Or yeah. is, he, is, he, is he already booked? <laughs> so they start this expedition at the end of 1913, and it's in January of 1914, which is, um, kind of depends on where you are, but it, rainy or dry season, whatever, in this area. They start up the river in Paraguay, and Roosevelt wrote a book about this, by the way, and we'll, we'll link it at the end, but... Roosevelt just writes about how beautiful everything is, and they're just sitting on a steamer, and it's still a really comfy trip. But the idea is being formed of, while they're basically steaming toward the Amazon, is what are they going to do? What river are they going to conquer? Well, there is this man, and he becomes an integral part of the story. His name is Candido Rondon. And Rondon was the preeminent Brazilian explorer of the Amazon, and he was part of what's called the Telegraph Commission. And the idea was that Brazil wanted to connect itself to the other countries in South America on the other side of the Andes across the Amazon. And to do that, you have to cut your way through the Amazon rainforest and set up telegraph poles. And a nice side effect of that was establishing outposts and roads in the Amazon, producing settlements, meeting up and um, pacifying the natives that live there. And basically helping to expand Brazil into the Amazon. And this guy, Candido Rondon, he is he's a colonel in the Brazilian army, and he is the lead explorer of the Amazon, which hadn't really been explored since the first conquistadors and like Spanish and Portuguese really came through the area. So Rondon is the expert on the Amazon. He knows all the natives, they are friends with him. He has this very specific view that he wants to bring them as much into like a positive culture as he can he's called a positivist basically the exact opposite of like a catholic at the time um it's it, how it was viewed right, right. they're but more I, similar I, than i appreciate think. yeah but he's all about protecting the natives and respecting their rights establishing his job as a, a connection but exploring and then charting the amazon so he's the guy who tells you well this river goes here and this river goes here and this is where they are and he's all about that idea so through the father's arm connections and through Roosevelt's chutzpah again, they link those two together and Roosevelt steams down the river to get up to Mato Grosso, which is like in the southwest corner of Brazil to start his voyage. And the idea was there was this river that Rondon had found the headwaters of. That's the top of the river where it flows from down into the Amazon. He knew it reached the Amazon because all rivers do uh, where he was, but they couldn't figure out where the river was. Rondon was like, well, I know it starts here. I know it's not those two rivers to the you know, east and west. Where does this river go? How big is it? I don't know. So they called it the River of Doubt. Oh. The Rio Duvida. And that's the name of the book that I've used um, as my like secondary source by Candace Millard. It'll be in the show notes. It's called River of Doubt. Um, Millard is the woman that wrote the um, the Guiteau and Garfield book, The Murder of... Oh yeah. James Garfield. God, that was a good that was a good episode. And she is by far the most in the, the best writer of history I've ever read. She is um, and it's like popular history, um, but it is also extremely well researched. So this is one of those things if you like history books and you like this kind of story, read her book. I want you everyone to support her as much as possible. She has other books that I'm going to read as well. I love the Guiteau book. This was one of the most enjoyable history reads I've ever had. So I would highly recommend it.
1: There you go. Don't just listen to podcasts. Read books. Yes. The more you know thing.
0: (laughs) I know. The little little rainbow just went over Kevin's head. (sighs) When you read Roosevelt's book as he's going down this river and he's thinking about what they're going to do, he's talking about all the amazing people he's with, and you can tell that he's more focused on enjoying the scenery and trying to get animals to, you know. Figure out you know, all the new kinds of species of animals because this was kind of a naturalist experience. He has a bunch of naturalists with him. Specifically, he's got two guys whose entire job is to shoot animals and then you know, get them down for scientific reference, and that's that's how you do it still to an extent, right? Right, and. You might endeavor
1: endeavor to kill fewer of them these days,
0: but... Like, the first half of his book is all about the different animals of South America and how dangerous South America is, all the different kinds of snakes and the different kinds of bugs and insects that are going to swarm on you, which ones are dangerous, where they are. And he nonstop talks about piranhas and mosquitoes because he was terrified of the piranhas and he was... And you have to deal with the mosquitoes. Right. Like, literally every single paragraph, he talks about mosquitoes.
1: I really want to see this book rewritten by Dr. Seuss... Like it's it's oh the places you'll go, but it's like oh the species you'll shoot. (laughs) That would be
0: fun. You can tell at the beginning that they don't really have an idea of
1: goes into detail about how unprepared they are. To be fair, if you're from North America, how how yeah how out of your depth are you? The first time you see like oh by the way the river's here. Rivers at home, pretty cool. There's salmon. That's that's fun. It's good food. Rivers here. Oh, no, no, no. The fish eat you. Yeah. <laughs> it's the other way around. In in Soviet Russia, <laughs> fish eats you, except you're in South America. That's awesome. Yeah. Piranha as a concept are horrifying. It's like being Zerg rushed in the water. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Most of the time they don't do that. But if you, I mean, all of the guys that are involved in this is a lot more than I'm referring to just for the sake of space. The ones that had any real interaction with South America say, everyone's terrified. Everyone knows someone in some village nearby who's been eaten by a piranha, all of that. And it's like, wow, this is a real problem. Like, it's way more dangerous than you think. But in reality, it is a very rare experience for someone to actually be killed by these things. But right. the, it's a non trivial chance So you kind of, like, stockade the river so you can bathe in it without getting eaten, which is something I don't really need to deal with, to be fair.
1: Yeah, my, my river bathing is usually pretty uh, uneventful. Yes. I mean, it's just, you know, other than the people with cameras. I shouldn't be doing this in Yosemite, though. <laughs> Dang it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we're spending so much time on the build-up. so I'm just going to, like, get us right to that point.
1: <laughs> yeah. How far into this episode are we right
0: now? <laughs> I have no idea. Fair. All right, we got this. They get off the river and they have to do an overland trek across a part of South America I don't think anyone knows about because even I didn't know about it, which is um, this really arid plateau where a lot of the Amazon, the, the southern tributaries of the Amazon River start. Basically, it's a really old part of the South American continent. that it's, it's a desert. It's a tropical desert. And they have this, the, the Roosevelt um, without Rondon there yet. They're going to meet up back at the very beginning of the Amazon. They have this mule train that's just covered in supplies. Like these mules are being driven to death as they're walking along. And um, Roosevelt's is having a grand old time. He's on safari as he's doing this. You know, he's got all the Americans are together. And they have these Brazilians who are their, you know, pack miners and things. They're called camaradas, comrades. And the camaradas are like being fed less so the Americans can get fed more. The pack animals don't have enough food to eat, so they're just dying in massive numbers. These oxen and these mules, they're having to like dump supplies as they're getting to their location. Then let the camaradas eat more food. uh, To be fair to the Americans, the Americans didn't know that.
1: Oh, okay.
0: It was the Brazilians trying to make sure the Americans were happy. And Roosevelt mentions Uh, he's not happy about this. Colonialism. But so they're losing supplies as they get there. And actually they wanted to bring along a bunch of like North American kayaks and canoes, like really um, boats that are good at um, rapids, that right. can go down rapids well because they assume they'd go down rapids. Well, they, had, they couldn't bring them, so they had to drop them before they l- arrived. So the, the short and simple of it is they arrive with a portion of their supplies and no boats to explore an unknown river. Seems like you'd want supplies and or boats. In the most dangerous place on earth. The Amazon rainforest wants to kill you. There's no doubt about it. Roosevelt goes into extreme detail. Millard goes into extreme detail about all the different ways you can die. Even the ants will kill you. There is such a high level of competition within that ecosystem. Every animal is poisonous. Every animal is hidden. They all have all sorts of defense mechanisms and sort of co-evolved intricacies to the point where one of the first things that they all mention in their diaries, and Roosevelt's book, is how silent and empty the rainforest is, hmm. which is the... different than you'd expect. Yeah, It's we... not necessarily silent, but empty is the better word. They're standing underneath this canopy of trees and the soil is so instantly used that there's nothing on the bottom. There's no sunlight that hits the canopy, so there's no plants down there. So the rainforest floor is basically just dust. And there's this massive force above their heads and there's no animals because they're all hidden. And sometimes they'd pick one out and they'd be able to shoot one or something, but it's most of the time, there's nothing there. And this becomes really important because they, as they're losing their supplies on the way to the Amazon, it's becoming obvious that they're going to have to hunt while they're there to feed themselves. And they can't find anything once they start to get there. That's not good seems not great i in my head, I have a
1: Roosevelt one of those like old timey cartoon muskets that gets really wide at the end, yeah, a
0: blunderbuss, yes, a blunderbuss Roosevelt's actually a terrible shot because you couldn't see far at all, and it's probably because of the blunderbuss, yes, exactly, but uh they always have there's so many instances in his story where he's like, I want to try to shoot and they told me not to, and someone shot it for me, and it's like, dude, it's because you can't see near a terrible shot, <laughs> but they start to get more and more into the Amazon. Rondon meets up with them, and they get their entire crew together. And what becomes readily apparent is Father Zom should not be on this trip. And I, I, right. I He, want, more he about, wanted to chill and drink wine. You know, a couple of the um, other participants in the trip turn around and go home because they all start to get malaria as they're even getting there. And Father Zom, when they meet up at a telegraph station that's one of their last stops before they go down to the river, they actually encounter one of the first tanks. So the Brazilians had learned that anything with wheels, like a truck with wheels gets stuck in the mud up where it rains nonstop in the Amazon. So they invented the the tractor, like the treads, that a modern tank has in 1912. And they made basically a car with tank treads, these giant trucks. And so Roosevelt in 1913, 1914, gets to see a tank And he's amazed by it. Well, Father Zom says, well, I want to ride to the telegraph station in the tank. I don't want to walk. But then he gets incredibly upset because the man driving is black. Uh, Father Zom, you suck. And that's what everyone immediately thinks. Oh, you suck. This is 1914, and they're all like, you should not be offended to be in a car with a black man. And then complain about it to the man. Oof, it's a bad look. And Rondon is like, like, progressive in the modern sense. Yeah. And he's like, I hate this man. He's not coming. (laughs) And they all sign a letter, including, like, Zom's assistant, saying he's going home now because he is not capable, and they kick him out. (sighs) And then they realize really quickly that they can't even send all the Americans. They can only send a small group of Americans down this river because they do not have enough food. So they send a couple of them, including Fiala, the guy who poorly managed this, and one of the other nationalists down a river they already had charted, and they do a taxidermy new naturalist study there and there's only three Americans left to actually go on this Roosevelt Roosevelt Kermit and a man named Curry who was a, uh, a, like a
1: father son thing
0: yeah so he sent his, he and his son go and then the older naturalist who had a lot of experience um, he had actually fought in some of the Latin American Civil Wars he, had a, he was kind of a mercenary naturalist which existed at that time is one of those 19th century things that does not exist anymore. So there's only three Americans, there are um, three Brazilian officers, and then there's about 20 camaradas. So there's like 25-ish guys, okay? By the way, I just looked up, I looked
1: up a picture of Father Zom, and uh, yeah, he looks like the kind of guy who, one, should not be on this trip, but he also looks like the kind of guy who a lot of the things you've said so far.
0: Yeah. So, but you can kind of get the idea that people organizing this trip aren't doing a very good job. A bunch of them shouldn't have been there. And honestly, why? why? Why are they doing this? Because it's there, right? Because it's there. There you go. That's the best explanation. He just wanted to do it. And Rondon's like, well, I want to know what well, this place goes. Welcome to the human experience. And you know what? Once they kind of get started, though, Roosevelt's in good company. Rondone is an expert Amazon explorer. He's been exploring since he, he, he's basically born in the Amazon and he's, he is of you know, mixed stock, just like most Brazilians are, and he had trained as a army uh, leader, and he was very, very well educated. And he comes back and he explores the Amazon for like a decade to the point where they name a province in the Amazon Rondonia. Like there's oh, a wow. province named after him. He's a celebrity figure at this point because of all of the exploration he does. And he has led you know voyages where 90% of the men die, and yet Rondon comes out of it unscathed, never sick. This man is made of iron. He doesn't even get malaria. Like, he's immune to everything. He doesn't need to eat. He might as well be a cyborg. So that's who's leading Roosevelt in, and Rondon is in charge. Roosevelt's in second. They're both colonels, but since they're colonels in Brazil, the Brazilian trumps, right? Right. So that's a good thing, but they have way less food than they need, and they don't have a boat. You're going to want a boat. They don't have any boats. They have a bunch of mules that are dead. What supplies? Can you like tie the mules together and make a boat? <laughs> well, they'll, they'll poof up. Oof. <laughs> Instead, what they have to do is have Nambiquara Indians make their boats. Now, the Nambiquara Indians at this time are known as, I'm to use offensive terms, the savage Indians. Mm. There's the Paresi Indians who they had already gone through multiple of their villages and they're farming and they're working for the Telegraph Commission. They're Roosevelt mentions they're wearing clothes and things like that and he is extremely positive about these people. The people will call it racist nowadays, but he's he's not. He really is all about how look at how much potential these people have, all that stuff. And it's
1: yeah, yeah, problematic by modern by modern standards. I can I can feel that right right away. But
0: but in 1914 he is the Exact opposite end of the spectrum, I would say, from the, the real vitriolic racism you see in society then.
1: Yeah. And so... But, but we are not dealing with them right now. We're
0: dealing with, like... We're dealing with the Nambiquara who don't even make hammocks to sleep in. They sleep on the ground. And that is a lack of civilization that even the nearby natives of different tribes treated them like they were, like uncouth beyond all belief i mean it's a, it's a degree of difference that's kind of comical when you think about it but the nambi Khoa are the ones that make their boats for them and they are basically hauling out tree trunks these are heavy boats which will be a problem later and they don't float well i mean isn't that what you want in a boat flotation it tends to be in my top
1: three when it comes to boat uh characteristics i'm really into i'm really into floating I'm really into uh, lateral movements. Uh, and then third of all would probably be um, like one of those in the floor ice chests for beers. Do they have one of those? I know they brought, a lot of, they brought along some whiskey.
0: But... Uh, you don't need the ice chest then? Yeah. I only have two real requisites for a boat now. What's <laughs> funny is even Roosevelt mentions of the seven boats they make, only three are good. The others are like leaking, and yet they're at the beginning of this trip where they're gonna go down an unknown rainforest, completely separated from any possible solution. Oh, also, you're um, yeah, you're in a river. Separated.
1: You're in a river that has built-in lateral motion, so you really at this point only have one category you need out of your
0: boat. It floats.
1: Yeah, whiskey requires no refrigeration, and river requires no lateral movement.
0: They overfill these boats and kind of raft them together. And in many instances, they you know they take two boats and they just plank across them, so they have basically... It's a catamaran. A catamaran. The supplies are on the catamarans, but again, these rivers are maybe an inch or two, sorry, these boats maybe an inch or two above the river line. They're really sunken, but, and this is fair logic, Roosevelt says, we're going down a dangerous trip. As we eat our supplies, the boats will get lighter. And also, and this one's kind of morbid, as men die on the trip,
1: the boats will get, the lighter. Bo- boats
0: will get lighter.
1: But you will also go through the supplies more slowly.
0: So, but there's a balancing of yeah. it going downward.
1: I yeah, I can right? see that. I
0: can see the morbid uh, the morbid like upside to that. And and he even kind of mentions he's like I know that's not something that's fun to think about because that's a reality. We're, we are trying to do wilderness exploration. It's not an easy thing. There is risk, real risk that you will die a accidental death. hmm So
1: accidental only because we already f- sent Father Zom home. Otherwise, it would have been <laughs> one not so accidental death.
0: Oh, just wait. Ooh. The beginning of the voyage on the river is really pleasant because at the top of the river, it, it is in giant snaking S's, basically. It's constantly bending and curving, but it's a nice, easy-flowing river. And what actually angers Roosevelt and all the Americans is Rondon is really taking his like charting seriously, and Kermit's the one who's actually doing it. He's at the front, and they have to keep stopping Putting you know two stakes in the river so that they can measure the difference between them, plot it on a map, and then also figure out how much depth the river has dropped. And so they're actually measuring this as they go, but they they don't really have enough food to do it to the extent that Rondon wants to do it. He's just right. expecting to just starve for a month because he can deal with that. The Americans are like, we're not we're not starving for a month. Right. Like no no we need food. And so they're making really slow progress down the really gentle part of the river, and they know that with any river. We always think of rivers as like when we look at them from above as like the the shape of their curving. You actually need to think of a river as a triangle because rivers start high. So rivers have a height. I'm not talking the depth of the water. I'm talking the height that the river drops. And over the length of the, the river, the river's the hypotenuse. There's that height that you have to drop, the altitude you go down, and then the length of the river. And when that river does a steep drop or a small length, that's where rapids are. And so they know based on their measurement that how long the river is probably supposed to be with how far down in altitude they're going, there have to be rapids on this river. They know they're going to go through a mountainous area eventually, which means their boats can't go through those rapids. They're going to have to go around. So that makes it really pressing on the men, especially the Americans and a lot of the camaradas, speed up because we're going to run out of food and we're going to have to drag these boats through the jungle. Well, Rondon is really insistent, and they take really slow progress as they snake through the comfortable part of the Highland River. They really quickly begin to leave any sort of known natives to Rondon, which becomes something scary in its own. So Rondone had met most of the native tribes, the Peresi Indians, which were the ones that were starting to work for the Telegraph Commission and Farming. He had... um a lot of them had initially tried to fight him and he had basically given them gifts and never ever fought back in fact if a man shot an indian a man fought an indian he was immediately sent back to brazil and put in jail Hmm. or at least disciplined in some way he wanted to pacify the natives by basically just being attacked by them and giving them gifts repeatedly that's how he had gotten the nambiquara on his side not even all of them were on his side but he had shot at he had been attacked by them his men had been killed by them so his approach was you do not hurt the natives you are in their lands you are an invader they have the right to kill you you do not have the right to kill them
1: enter americans
0: and to be fair the americans were like that is totally fine oh we are not going to fight you on this because by your actions you have guaranteed that we had safe passage this far So what they're hoping is that they're going to continue going through territories that knew or had knowledge of Rondon and his Telegraph Commission. Really quickly, they see evidence of a completely different Native Native American tribe, Mesoamerican, South American tribe, whatever you want to call them. This tribe we now know is called the Cinta Larga. That means they have a big belt. That's what Cinta Larga means. And it's a belt of um, tree bark, That they put around their waist that actually like carves up their waist, like it like hurts them. And this is a particularly warlike tribe. And Rondone I can
1: tell based on the the belt thing. Yeah.
0: And Rondone doesn't have contact with them. I believe he knows who they are. And he's like, Yeah, this is not a good place to be. You are right now, as we go down this nice part of the river, we are being watched. They are here. They pass empty villages, but there's still fires burning in the villages. They they find random like hieroglyphic markers on certain rocks, which they don't think is by the Cintelarga, but kind of just as an aside, raises information. There used to be some other things in the Amazon, because there's like really cool stuff written on the stones. They see they see evidence of humans, some recent, some in the past. That just makes it very spooky. As they're going down this river and camping at night, every night they have to carve out a big hole in the jungle so they can set up their their tents. They hear all these bizarre noises in the jungle. Noises they can't explain. Incredibly loud bangs. Loud hissing noises. Whistles. Happening nonstop. And sometimes one of these noises will be so loud and deafening, the entire forest goes silent. And everyone has to wait. And then the normal forest noises rise again around them. As they make their painstaking way down this snaking river and as eerie as all of that is nothing seems to be happening to them the work is hard they're frustrated at their slow travel but it doesn't start to get dangerous until they become to their first set of rapids finally they start to enter an area where the river is clearly going faster it's going through more rugged terrain so it's going down more than it's going far and they start to hit these rapids, and their boats can't handle them. In fact, you know, they're already starting to lose some of their boats. Well, they start to descend these rapids, and immediately their boats start to break. They start to lose supplies as canoes just get shattered on the rocks. Because what ends up happening in a lot of these rapids is they have one, or, one of two options to go around a rapid. Option one is called portaging or portage, you know, you you take the boats out of the water and you drag them across land. You have to hack a hole, hack a pathway through the rainforest to do that. This is not a light rainforest. These are massive trees. And so the guys have to hack those trees down. And Roosevelt mentions that they're not particularly good lumberjacks because he has been with the lumberjacks. Of course he has. They have to hack these trees down and then make kind of like a... Like a log rolling road. The logs are all used as...
1: Yeah, it's like impro- improvised them. tank treads.
0: Basically, yeah. yeah. And you just roll your canoes across those. Yeah, you got somebody who's in charge of putting a new log in front kind yeah. of thing. So it's not like this is easy work. Right. And you're running out of food and you're out like all that. And also, by this point already, even without a lot of rapids, everyone has malaria. Everyone is falling with fever. Kermit Roosevelt, for example, is basically nonstop 103 degree fever this entire time. And he's just dealing with it. I already, because they've gone so far through the wilderness, a lot of these guys, their clothes are falling apart. Some of the camaradas are virtually naked. but And they're being, they're being given new clothes by the Americans, but it's already starting to fall apart. And they're completely outside of any help. Right. They're in like the totally uncharted portion of things. And the scary thing is, and I have mentioned this already, they can't find enough food in the forest to sustain themselves. And you can tell because Roosevelt will mention it in the book. We shot a monkey today and we actually ate. The men go out to find, you know, game as much as they can, but they all don't want to go too far either because they are afraid of being isolated and killed by... A native, anything. Or a jaguar. Yeah. Or a caiman. Literally anything. Or just the fact that
1: it's the rainforest. You you go too far, like, and you get turned around,
0: no one is ever going to find you. And it all just looks like an, a massive green. Yeah. And that you can't even use, like, trees as that good of a marker because there's so much competition that one species of tree might be here, and then the next version of that species of tree might be 20 miles away. That's why. We'll get into the rubber stuff later, but that's what people were going to the Amazon for, was to find rubber. But you can't even find that because it doesn't grow in groves. Everything's super separated. So as they're chopping through this forest, they start to continually go through these rapids, and the men are just being grinded and grinded and grinded. And they actually do come across the natives. The natives kill Rondon's dog in front of them with a poison dart arrow. And he like, backs off, shoots in the air, drops some beads and some food, and literally, like, walks away backwards, leaving his dog behind. He was a man who was always surrounded by dogs. He loved dogs. So this was, like, a pain to him as that happened. Yeah, And he's just hoping that by leaving this food here, these natives will not, not want to kill them, but be indecisive enough to not commit to killing them. That's his legitimate hope, because the way these tribes tend to work is they must have consensus in order to do anything.
1: Oh, interesting. And so as long as he can... The the goal is to just make it so there's one person in the, like, decision-making process going, I don't know, we killed that guy's dog, and he gave us beads, so maybe we shouldn't. And then they're like, oh, guess we can't murder him and all of his friends. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's insane. That's
0: amazing. But it generally has worked. Sure, Almost generally. all the deaths from the Brazilians that were doing the telegraph commission came after a place had already been visited when the, the men usually tried to have their way with native women. <sighs> and then that caused a feud and someone shot somebody and then an entire telegraph commission would be annihilated. You know, That kind of thing, right? Sure. But... It's hard to describe in a podcast like the grind that is starting to happen to these men because they know they haven't gotten far enough. And they're starting to encounter these rapids to the point where it's they get to the rapid, they portage around it, they only go three kilometers down the river, and it takes them three days. And then they go down the river for maybe two kilometers, and they hit another rapid. Oh and it takes God. them multiple days to go around that one. And it's over and over and over. The natives are all around them. They can't find food Everything's really spooky and eerie, but they're still managing. They're still managing. They start to get through, but they lose pretty much all of their canoes. And What they have to do a couple of times is they have to make a new canoe in the Amazon during one of their portages. Because their canoes get shattered and they lose a bunch of the supplies. So yeah, they have like to take, tra- a take a tree down and hollow it out. And the first time they do it, the canoe is terrible and it basically just sinks. And so eventually they get better at finding more buoyant trees and they make some better ones. But by the end of the trip, I think they only have like two of the canoes that they started with. The rest they made on the
1: trip. It's the, it's the canoe collection of uh, Theseus.
0: These rapids start to make risk assessment change. Or the men. Because as they are running out of time and supplies... And boats. And boats. And dogs. There gets to be a point where they need to start taking the second approach to rapids. So I I said there were two approaches, and I only explained the portage approach. The second one is you don't have people in the boats. You have people standing on the side of the river guiding the boats through the rapids as well as they can. Okay. So... That's way faster, but it's part of the reason they were losing boats It's because it's very difficult to do. Or sometimes you only have like one guy on the boat and the other guys are on the side and you just have a little bit more maneuverability. You generally uh, take ropes and you wrap ropes around the boats and you just pull back and forth to control it. That's very dangerous because as the boat gets caught in rapids, you might get pulled into the water. You might get pulled into the rapids. Sure, That is where drownings can happen.
1: But, should, should have brought Cornelius Vanderbilt on this trip. Yeah. He could have built some boat
0: tanks. <laughs> I love that story. I know it's so good. So Kermit is starting to get to the point where he doesn't believe that they're that they are going quickly enough. They need to start taking more risks. So at one instance, they they see that there's more rapids over up ahead. They know they have to stop, so they stop, so that they can you know wait that you know, stay for that night. But Kermit and two other men ignore the order that Rondone gave them to return to the shore and instead they want to go explore because at that point in the river the river bends around a a rather large island in the middle so you can't really see what's on the the left side of the river and they're on the right side at the beginning so Kermit leads the boat around the outside thinking well maybe we can find a way around the rapids maybe if we take the left side of the river it has a little spot that we can avoid them and we don't have to portage again the problem is he just finds another rapid in fact it's a worse rapid with a waterfall And he is with two men and they get caught in the current and it does not matter how hard they're piling. They go down the waterfall. The boat is shattered. All three men go into the water and and Kermit's dog. And they all are fighting for their lives in this water. One of the men fairly easily gets his way out. He just happens to get caught in the right spot and he just basically climbs out of the water. Kermit You know, gets extremely close to being crushed and drowned at the bottom of the river. The other man is gone. His name was Simplicio, and he—they never find his body. They have no idea where he went. They know he drowned. The boat's lost. The supplies are lost. Simplicio dies. He's the first death, and it's a big break between the Americans and the Brazilians, who at this point had come to a really good point of, you know, camaraderie between them. The Americans had been treating the camaradas very well and making sure they gave them their extra th- supplies and extra food. Um, you know, even though Rondon and Roosevelt didn't actually speak much of a language in common, they would, you know, Kermit would translate, but they made a, an attempt to speak to each other in French, which is the language they both spoke well enough that they could communicate. Okay. So there was a lot of sitting in camp and talking and, learning and being together on that same front. There had been some, you know, problems with how slow they were going, but, you know, they were willing to deal with that because that's what Rondon wanted. When Simplicio was drowned by because Kermit ignored Rondon's actions, that's the first instance where trust is beginning to be broken between these two groups. They put a cross down on the side of the river. Here lies poor Simplicio, or here, Simplicio, poor Simplicio drowned in the river. But they call him poor Simplicio, and they have to move on. He's the first death.
1: I feel like we've made a pretty decent amount of headway before somebody died. Yeah, actually, there was considering we've a already lot of... encountered poison dart tribes, yeah. uh, multiple rapids, malaria. You know, all. the fact that we're in the Amazon, which is mostly focused on
0: killing you and very little else. It's right at this point, too, where while they're hacking at the forest um, to set up camp, um, a coral snake, or a, a version of a viper, right. gets stirred up and apparently had been there for a while because Roosevelt knew about this kind of snake and was like, yeah, the snake probably wouldn't have attacked us, which it does, if we hadn't like actively been stepping on it because we couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. And so the camaradas are barefoot, but they are very lucky because go, it goes at Roosevelt and he's wearing a thick leather boot and the snake bap, 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 strikes his foot, and his boot is covered in venom that if it had p- pierced his skin, he would have died right there. Jeez. Or would have, you know, had s- such complications that the doctor, who they have, Dr. Ka- um, Kaya he couldn't have helped them. Right. I mean, right now, they actually have a doctor on the trip who's, like, pumping anti-malarial into them as much as they can, and they're all still horribly sick.
1: Okay, that that tracks. The fact that there's a doctor there going, like, We're going to keep your malaria as
0: treatable as we can. As, you know, as reduced as we can. You know, this doctor is, uh, it's obvious, and Roosevelt mentions this, that the doctor can only do so much. Right. So if someone gets really injured, they're going to get an infection. And at this point, there's always a couple of guys who can't work because they're so sick or so injured or covered in so many sores they can't move. The insects biting them are actually not mosquitoes to a certain extent. There's these other insects that when they bite, they leave these like red welts that that are painful, but they're so small and they're so ubiquitous. There's nothing they they can do. It isn't the deal. And also these guys are like half naked all the time because their clothes keep falling apart. Roosevelt mentions that Kermit's shoes rot off his feet because he's doing such the hard labor. He's at the front. He's always the one leading everything. But you see this first break between them. That really gets pressed as they're on new boats and they have portaged forever and they have not gone anywhere near as far. The river comes down to a point where it's not just rapids with flat forest next to it. There's a massive two-sided canyon. That has some problems, among other things, because you can't portage up a canyon. Right. It just simply, you got to go around. But they can't. They, that They is what Rondone wants to do. But basically it means they just need to start walking through the forest and drag all their stuff with them for 50, 100 kilometers as they go around this mountain. Jeez. Or they can go down the river. So they have a big debate about it. Kermit's like, I can do this. When I built bridges, this is what we had to do. You had to... Send supplies down deep canyons. So they have to, while hugging the side of a canyon wall with, you know, Category 5 whitewater rapids down below them, hold on to these boats. Oh, man. Down this rapid. And so here's my quote. And in this quote, you're going to hear a couple of names. One of the names is a man named uh, Lyra, or Lyra. Um, he is Rondon's second-in-command. He is Rondone's Kermit, You know, the, equally as useful of a man. He had been on most of Rondon's trips. He was also invincible. He was like just Rondon's second-in-command, just very similar. And so Lyra is like the lieutenant of the Brazilians, and he is equally impressive. And Cherry, or Sherry, I think it's Sherry, is the um, other American, the naturalist. And so again, Deeply impressive guys. When these guys are mentioned, just be aware of who they are. Sure. Right? So this is what Roosevelt says about the, the Canyon Rapids, which is at this point the, the most scary ordeal they're gonna have to really deal the with. The most perilous thing. Perilous, yeah. yeah. Again and again it was touch and go, whether they could get by a given point. At one spot, the channel of the furious torrent was the only fifteen yards across. One canoe was lost, so that seven of the so that of the seven with which we had started, only two were left. Cherry labored with the other men at times, and also stood as guard over them, for while actually working, of course no one could carry a rifle. Kermit's experience in bridge building was invaluable in enabling him to do the rope work by which alone it was possible to get the canoes down the canyon. He and Lyra had now been in the water for days. Their clothes were never dry. Their shoes were rotten. The bruises on their feet and legs had become sores. On their bodies, some of the insect bites had become festering wounds, as indeed was the case with all of us. Poisonous ants, biting flies, ticks, wasps, bees were a perpetual torment. However, no one had yet been bitten by a venomous serpent, a scorpion, or a centipede, although we had killed all three of them within camp limits. So not only are is the water dangerous, they're surrounded.
1: God, remind me to never go here. Yeah. This sounds horrible. Also, one thing I do want to... Like appreciate is the fact that uh, I feel like so often when you, in history, especially like kind of like great man history and that kind of thing, you very rarely see familial connections discussed as anything more than like generally duty and that kind of thing. You get a very good sense of like how much like fatherly pride Roosevelt has in his son. Like he's talking about like my son's experience in bridge building made the rope work an absolute marvel. Like it's you – can, you can really hear him going like, my son, my son, which is very interesting to hear. It's very humanizing. It is. Especially when these kinds of stories tend to lack a lot of humanity because even though it's people in it, you're, we're focused mainly on the goals and the endeavor and that
0: kind of thing. Millard goes into a lot of – um a lot of focus, really, on how both men were on the voyage because of the other. Kermit, who, by the way, was engaged at this point and was doing this voyage so he could go home, he just wants to go home. Right. And Roosevelt wants to get him home safely. And Kermit wants to get Roosevelt home safely. So they're both there to protect each other. And yeah, it's totally, totally obvious that Roosevelt's incredibly proud but so worried about oh, his yeah, son. Oh, of course. And Kermit, in the same exact vein... Is deeply respectful of his father, but also incredibly worried because Roosevelt is in his 50s and he's actually in poor health when he's there. So he should not be doing this. He has a leg that was so badly injured in a trolley accident while he was president. Most people don't know that he got hit by a runaway trolley when he was in a, a carriage. His Secret Service agent was killed instantly. Roosevelt was thrown 30 feet, basically Shattered his jaw and broke a bunch of teeth and damaged one of his legs so badly that it got sepsis. Wow. And he survived the sepsis because he had a good doctor and he was invincible. But that leg, he knows if it gets injured, he will have sepsis again. So Kermit's like terrified of his dad taking any risks. And part of the reason that Roosevelt kind of takes a back seat to some of these risks, he's not really doing a lot of the paddling, he's not really doing a lot of the hacking. It's because he can't. Right. So he really shouldn't be there. So Kermit's kind of like Roosevelt living vicariously in some extents. And you can see his pride because, one, his father-son pride, but, two, he gets to see that next generation doing what he wishes he could do. Okay. I think there's definitely some of that there. Interesting. But I like that quote because I just thought, man, you get a sense of what they're doing. So they do succeed to get through this canyon. But it's becoming pretty apparent that they have not gotten far enough down this river to get out, to get out with enough supplies. They are almost out of food. And it gets to the point where the only days that they actually eat enough food to sustain themselves without actively starting to eat away at their own bodies are the days where they can manage to kill some big fish, like a big catfish, or they, they kill a monkey, or they keep trying to kill tapers, which are... Like pig-like animals, and they just cannot kill one. Roosevelt is nonstop talking about tapers the entire book. You can tell he just really <laughs> wants to eat some pork because he's so hungry. It, it starts the, to, the colonel wants breakfast. <laughs> it starts to boil over, to. that's all they talk about is food. That's a phenomenon of when people are starving. Oh, there's yeah. nothing else they can think of.
1: What are, what are you going to eat when you get home? That kind of
0: conversation, exactly. Yeah, distraction, mor- morale, all that stuff. So they, they succeeded the gamble of the Canyon Gorge, but really closely after that, Roosevelt cuts his bad leg. He <sighs> slips in the shallows and cuts his leg. And though they're all feverish at this point, it's a pretty consistent and manageable fever. Even though the doctor tries to support him as long as they can, Roosevelt gets extremely ill. Over the course of a very short time, his fever spikes to the point where he becomes delirious. He is no longer able to walk. He is no longer able to crawl. He is simply on his back. He expected this to happen. He expected that at some point he might be so deathly ill that he would need to be left behind. He strongly believed that if a person could not walk on their own and carry themselves through the forest, they should be left behind. And in fact, he had taken Sinai tablets with him to commit suicide if he were ever put into that position.
1: Just so that the people who were with him, who insisted on bringing him, would not have a say in the matter? Pretty much. However,
0: he does inform the men... His, you know, the two Americans, his son and his naturalist friend, Jerry. I plan on killing myself tonight so that you can survive without having to carry me. I'm the biggest guy on the expedition. You can't. I will slow you down. They tell him no. They take the tablets and they won't let him.
1: Yeah, I mean, you told your son you were going to take cyanide tonight.
0: What did you expect to have happen? And he is in such a bad state of health and so weak, he can't stop them.
1: Right, of course not.
0: So they basically have to carry him or put him on a boat in the tropical sun while he's feverish with basically a tent over his head bumping up and down in the boat while he is dying of an infection.
1: What a miserable thing.
0: Miller starts to talk about the doctor, the Portuguese doctor, uh, sorry, the Brazilian doctor in Portuguese, who um, is, like, fussing over Roosevelt. He's like, he is going to die. Like, there's nothing we can do. He's either going to die this infection in a couple of days or he's going to survive in a couple of days. But we got to get out of here. So let's go. But it gets so bad that Roosevelt falls into a feverish stupor. He's just sitting there on the ground, shaking uncontrollably, quoting repeatedly from a book he had read. Hmm. Just like a mantra, you know, that kind of fever dream. With all of that, they have to operate on his leg and drain it in the middle of the rainforest. Oh. Remember that from the Shackleton experience where yeah. they had to like amputate a guy's feet. Mm-hmm. Same kind of idea where this doctor's like, well... Get me a fire, let's, let's sterilize the knife, and just cut into it. And you know Roosevelt's awake, being operated on as they slice his leg open and pours out. Mm. And it's already infected from the jungle. It was infected instantly. But this is the only way to heal it. Right. But it works. It works, but Roosevelt loses like 60 pounds. He... This is easier to carry now. Yeah. He is Considerate. incredibly weak. He can now sit up a little bit as his fever breaks, but he is basically cargo at this point. And the men are actively starving to death. And what they've noticed, though, is one of the men, a big dude named Julio, isn't starving. He's in full health. These are emaciated skeletons, and one of the men is in full health. And they all know why. He's been stealing their food. He's been avoiding the hard labor. He was on Roosevelt's boat, and they had him on Roosevelt's boat because they are hoping Roosevelt could get him to do something. But in the middle of this trip, one guy is in perfect health.
1: Other Julio, than Rondon.
0: Julio, how dare you. And they all hate him. But there's nothing they can do. They, even the little work he does is vital you can't just, like, kick him out of the party. Oh, if you kick him out of the party, he dies. Well, yeah. But they also noticed that he had a very sulky behavior. To be fair, Roosevelt also notice, notice, uh, notes his race. He was the whitest guy there. And Roosevelt, he was the only guy of, in lovely 1900s terms. Oh, no. Full white blood of all the camaradas. And Roosevelt points that out for that distinction.
1: Interesting.
0: And it's because he's trying to say...
1: What a weird version of being progressive. Yeah.
0: Like... Look, this white guy can be bad too.
1: Exactly. Like, look, look, we're so, we're so equal opportunity here that like the whitest of the non-white people we got here
0: is the worst one. Yeah.
1: He would have done well on 1900s Tumblr. <laughs>
0: One of the other lieutenants, a man named, I'm just going to call him Passion because his name basically is pronounced Passion. I believe it translates as Passion. It's pronounced like Pasho, something like that because Portuguese is like you have cotton balls in your mouth. But so (laughs) Pasho, Pasho, Passion is what this guy's name is. It might not translate to that. But This
1: episode not brought to you by Portugal.
0: No, sorry. I, I can't speak Portuguese. I can't even pronounce it right. So Pasho. Pasho. I think I'll just call him Pasho because I can't pronounce Portuguese, Portuguese words. Pa- so Pasho, Pasho is in charge of some of these camaradas. He's like the other guy of the Brazilians who's in charge. And he has been really ripping into Julio lately. After they get down this rapids, Roosevelt's really sick, and they're really all starving. And it's like, you need to do your work, all that stuff. And then he catches him stealing food. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to be, you know, th- that's like a death sentence. Right. Right. but Well, yeah, because
1: you're you're essentially sentencing other the the rest of your party to death by
0: stealing food so it tracks yeah. but they can't even though they all know they can't do anything because they need him right but he berates him i think he even like physically attacks him pacho to julio and then he just goes go back to work and then pacho goes back up to where you know they're, they're moving in circuits as they move the, the the boats around and the guys are all constant relaying back and forth with supplies and so they're all kind of scattered in a little how, how many guys are still on the
1: trip at this point point? 25 Okay.
0: So there's a lot. Most of them are camaradas. And um, so they're always moving and realizes, you know, some guys are setting up camps. Some are moving the boats. Some are moving supplies across land. And some are out in the forest hunting. So they always have rifles lying around. And as Pacho goes to move back oh, and forth, no. they hear a shot ring out. No one really thinks anything of it. The guys are shooting constantly trying to kill game for them to eat. But then a couple of the camaradas come sprinting back into camp. Julio has killed Pacho. Julio has murdered Pacho. The terror that everyone feels is pretty intense. Now Roosevelt, remember, has just been highly feverish. He gets up and actually makes himself walk to the murder scene, and he like uses the last of his energy to get there. And
1: Roosevelt is like an action hero. It's so it's awesome. funny.
0: But they all get there and they're really worried at first because the idea of a guy with a gun and murderous intent in the forest around them is terrifying. Right. Because you can't see him.
1: Well, and best case scenario, you're about to be down two guys now.
0: Yeah. Because you're not taking Julio back into the fold. Ooh. Oh. So, damn so let's it. see. So they get really lucky, they find Pasha. Pasha was shot through the chest and he is immediate, he, he is killed instantly. Right. He's shot from the back, by the way. Mm. So I mean Julio was like Roosevelt Ooh, does not mince worst. words to say how much he hates this man. Right. And Roosevelt wants to murder him. Right. He wants to kill him right there. Sure. Specifically, he wants to leave him in the jungle. Ooh, that's a good way of killing him. mm mm-hmm. With, And without any cyanide. But they find that Julio dropped the gun and ran away. So he has no gun. So they all feel a lot safer. And then it becomes, what do we do about this? I've already told you that there's been a rift between them with the, the death of Simplicio and the, the arrogance of Kermit to think that he could handle that better than Rondone's orders. Sure. Now, apparently, that night, they're all screaming at each other as much as they can scream with the energy they have left because the three Americans cannot fathom what Rondon wants. Rondon wants to go find Julio and bring him back as a prisoner so that he can be tried and sentenced to life in prison in Brazil. There was no death penalty in Brazil at this point, nor is there today.
1: But they have the Amazon, so you don't need it.
0: And Rosal says we should leave him out. He's a murderer. He is no longer part of our party. Let the jungle deal with him. Ron Jones says I'm in. I am in charge. We're gonna go look for him.
1: So it's not just let him come back. It's go find him. Let's go find him.
0: Go actively, Julio, Julio, through the forest and go find Literally
1: him. Literally adding additional risk to take him in for due process.
0: Because that's the kind of man Rondon is. Uh,
1: Rondon, you stupid good person.
0: Right? It, it's that oh, you're frustrating infuriating. morality.
1: How dare you? Why, why are you better than the times you live in?
0: So they go look for him. And the thing that really solves the problem is They don't find him. Oh, all right. Now, I have flipped the order a little bit um, because my understanding of Finale remembering is this: this, the murder actually happens before the Canyon Gorge. Sure. So they're all kind of thinking. That's why Cherry has a gun to guard them, not just from Natives, but also from Julio Uh, during the River Gorge. Okay. There's a lot that happens, so the, the timeline might be a little off. That's all right for this one. But that... That's part of the reason that they did it. It was we can't like walk through the forest around this giant canyon with this guy who might be trying to murder us. But on the other side of the gorge, apparently Julio had followed them, and uh, he says, "Please, please get me out of here."
1: How, how long was he missing for?
0: Uh, a couple of days. Okay, so long enough that he's like, "This was a bad choice. Yeah. This is not sustainable." But he has fat stores, so he can be fine. But you know, please, please get me out of this and they actually do leave him in the forest. They can't really get him. They can't find him. He, he won't let them capture him, and they just float away, and he disappears. Rondone won't really acknowledge him when Julio's yelling at him. When they stop and then they go to find him, he's gone. Hmm. And it's just like this weird anticlimactic ending to the third life lost on this trip. And they, they bury Pasha with you know, full military rights and they give him a cross and all that stuff. julio has gone. They have no idea what happens to him. Because after he entreats them to save him, they stop and a couple hours later and try to find him and he's just gone. So they have to deal with Roosevelt's sickness and they have to deal with all of that throughout this trip. But the river does seem to start to relax a little bit. And they actually have only a short time more where they're moving down the water until they suddenly see a house. This is not a native house. This is a Brazilian house. And they've come upon rubbermen and their families. Now, at this point in history, the Model T exists. And the Model T for Model T has rubber wheels. The problem is rubber is not an easy crop to get. It grows on. It's the sap of a rubber tree. Right Now, in the Amazon rainforest, rubber trees are scattered. They don't grow in groves like I've kind of mentioned before. They're spaced irregularly over large distances. So people who wanted to go get the rubber, their life seemed like this. They would wake up at dawn and they'd have to go through the forest following tracks they had made, oftentimes with like string, with a device on their head that they would use to help like like a lantern on their head because it was so dark in the forest and they would go and like puncture these trees and collect the sap and do circuits around these specific pathways collecting these trees. Well, these rubber men who often brought their children and families with them were the true trailblazers up the Amazon because they would continually go up the river because the only way that you could find more rubber is to explore more river because once someone set their claim... That was theirs, and they would kill you if you went on it. And it, was, it was that wild, wild west, that kind of gold country mentality, except it was this white, sticky latex that came out of these trees.
1: And slightly, slightly more dangerous river than the ones they were panning in yeah. in Northern California. <laughs> Which are just
0: really pleasant, actually.
1: Oh, yeah, it's quite nice. This is where we live. Yeah. So <laughs> This episode brought to you by uh, folksy renditions <laughs> of uh, gold panning life.
0: <laughs> Go to Coloma. Exactly. Visit Coloma. So this makes the men very happy to see these rubber encampments because that means they're at the edge of civilization. (laughs) The first person who sees them screams and runs away because, one, they did not expect anyone going this direction down the river.
1: That's fair. That's fair. That's a weird thing to see.
0: They're terrified of the natives, and these men do not look like men anymore. Oh,
1: yeah. They are
0: terrifying to
1: look at. They're like weird, half-naked, splotchy red zombies.
0: And they're even like calling to them in Portuguese. Like, hey, we're on your side. Like, we're not trying to kill you. This woman just runs from them. It's similar to like when Shackleton got to that island, uh, St. George's Island. The kids ran away thinking they were demons, you know? Finally, they basically land, find a house, and just go to the house. Yeah, like you're not running from us anymore, and they actually like the rubbermen in the area are like forming a mob <laughs> to try to like put them down, but finally they they get a human connection. God, what a
1: freaking ending to the story that would have been! Like <sighs> they finally get into like something resembling civilization, and like the lo- like the local like normal people just are like, oh crap, and shoot them. <laughs> it
0: was close. That's amazing. They come upon a family and the family goes okay we know basically what happens is there's a group of men with guns Roosevelt's crew lands on the shore and those men had the opportunity to actually shoot first ask questions second mm-hmm. but apparently they're either good enough vision or we're more like what is this because we don't see these natives in boats like why because natives didn't make boats right. didn't make them. and so they actually then put their guns down and say who are you
1: and, say, and, and the answer is Former president of the United States.
0: <laughs> 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 but it actually helps them because, because they are so famous. All the rubber men know who Roosevelt is. Oh, my God. And so they're like, oh, my gosh, really? So they're immediately <laughs> given supplies on credit. And they have to spend a ton of money to get these supplies. like, are vastly wealthy anyway. And so they basically just get totally refed. They get to... Gently go down the river, and the people. There's rapids on the river, but the portages are roads, like with tracks. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they've been, you know, it's been paved. Right.
1: Been, there's there's an industry here.
0: Uh, blazed is the word. They yes. blaze the path already, right? And so they basically just get lucky in the fact that the River of Doubt. Which I haven't really said much. You know, that's the river they're on, the River of Doubt. The River of Doubt has basically connected with existing river territory. And the whole idea was they're going to conquer this river because it's unknown. They're going to put this unknown river on the map because it's giant. And no one knows where it flows.
1: Turns out, to a place we've already been.
0: Yeah. And you don't have to go down the river for very long to find that place. They were only about halfway as far as they thought they had to go. Oh my Two, gosh. the way they thought they had to go.
1: And then you think about like the state
0: they're in. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you wouldn't have made it the whole way. Mm-mm. No way. And they do find out where the river flows. It is a massive tributary of the Amazon. This is now on the map, and it's now called the Rio Roosevelt, by the way, which Roosevelt oh, wow. did not like. They announced that, like, halfway through the trip, after all the fighting. Like, that was a, one of the conciliatory gestures by Rondonis to name it the Rio Roosevelt. One of the tributaries into it is called the Rio Kermit. There's a Rio Cherry. There's a Rio—I um, believe there's a Rio Simplicio. I mean, uh, they named after the guys.
1: No Rio it was, Julio, I noticed. <laughs>
0: But you can kind of see it's now called the River Roosevelt. And you're looking on the map, it's what's it's called. And even the Roosevelt didn't want that. He was like, "No, let's call this River Doubt. That's a cool name, guys." Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> this is like argument. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> "No, no, awesome. no,
1: don't, don't fix what's not broken."
0: For all intents and purposes, as poorly as it all goes, they succeed. They they plot the river. They do chart it. They don't chart it as well as Rondon wants. That he does relent and let them go faster down the river, and all of that. But Roosevelt is still unable to walk, even in the rubber camps. He, he is so badly damaged by this infection that even while recovering on steamboats further down the river where they have, like, much more established communities, he's bedridden for a very long time. But he survives. And when they return to the United States... No one believes him. About which part? The fact that he did what he just did. What? Because what they assume is that... Oh, because he, he left like a pariah and everything. He left as a pariah. He was. He did have like geographical associations supporting this trip. I mean, that's where his funding primarily came from. I kind of wanted to skip through some of that. But he, this was a known trip. But when he gets back, a lot of people thought he had just kind of sailed down the Amazon. It wasn't a big deal. And so when he shows up and he's holding a cane and he's so weak he can barely speak, he's, he, 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 he's speaking to an auditorium full of people without microphones and he's speaking so quietly only the first row can hear him mm. because he's so weak. But he's pointing at the map. He's gesticulating wildly as he always would. Apparently his voice sounded like he had just taken helium. He had a super high voice. Mm. And basically... They had to like transfer the knowledge backwards. to get this weird game of telephone during the speech. And there's a guy
1: in the third row being like,
0: Piranha. (laughs) Exactly, but it becomes clear that he had done this ridiculous feat. He never recovers from it though. This kills him. Really? He dies many years later, but it was always his leg bothering him. It was always health complications from this injury. That started to harm his heart, which was already in bad shape, et cetera, et cetera. And so he conquers this river to conquer his depression, and eventually just that lifestyle is not sustainable to produce an old man. It just isn't. You live yourself to death.
1: I like that phrasing. This is not meant to produce an old man.
0: No, I don't think Roosevelt would want to be an old man. I don't think so either. He died in his late 50s um, in 1919.
1: Oh, so hold on. This trip was in his 50s, so he, yeah. didn't li- he didn't live much longer after this. No, so it was in
0: 1914, and he dies in 1919. Okay. And by the way, he was still saying he wanted to fight in World War I when the United States joined. He was like, <laughs> I will go and fight in the war. And Wilson Woodrow Wilson, was like, no, I'm not going to let you. I'm not. He actually stripped Roosevelt of his command in a, in a respectful way, right. saying you cannot go. You will die.
1: Right. I'm not convinced that that's true, though.
0: I think Roosevelt would have found a way to go anyway.
1: Well, not only that, but I think that if Roosevelt had gone to war, he probably would have gotten a few extra years. I feel like that's <laughs> the kind right, of thing actually. that just keeps him alive.
0: Yeah, yeah. It uh, was
1: we talked about this at the very start of this. Like for him it was the stopping that was the problem.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think being told you're too old you can't do it probably made his health worse. Probably. He was a sickly young man. He actually had such bad asthma that when he was a little kid, he would like sit in bed Trying to catch his breath. He couldn't breathe. And the way he got out of that, not the way his father wanted to do it, which was make him smoke cigars. Ooh, that's a that good That was their treatment for fix. his asthma. I love it. Roosevelt actually started working out. He started doing aerobic exercise and he made himself stronger. And yeah. as, he, as a young kid, um, I think he was like 10 when he started doing that. That's how he learned to keep himself healthy was just to live uh, like so actively, right? Right. So he tries to join World War One, and it, it, it doesn't work out. And he he does die because of this trip. Um, he lives for a while longer, but I think that's how Roosevelt wanted to, to live his life. You know, that that's just how that man was, which makes him such an interesting figure in history. To kind of wrap it up, Rondon, his telegraph commission ironically becomes um, obsolete, like the next year because of radio. So all the work Rondon had done <laughs> becomes less about the telegraph stuff and more about his exploration, his exploration, his interact yeah. with the natives, his viewpoints on things. Um, and Rondon, again, has a state in Brazil named after him. And he lives, <laughs> Rondon dies at like age 95 or something. Wow. He lives forever. So I believe he dies in like 1950. I was going to say he dies somewhat recently given the yeah. story. Yeah, he dies wow. in 1950, 1960, really far in the future, lives through both world wars. Which Brazil didn't really participate too much in, except World War II. They did do a ton in World War II. No one knows that they did the uh, Italian front. World War II. Once we left to go to D-Day, they continued and won the Italian front. The Brazilians did. Really? Yeah.
1: Go Brazil. They're actually
0: very, very successful. No one. It's one of those footnotes that isn't a narrative. We should so. do an episode on that. There's no narrative though, so I, I don't do war stuff very much. Fair
1: enough. Uh, I mean, we're gonna do one on. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're, do one on, on on the Roosevelt who uh, who was in who, in World War II.
0: We could, yeah. I'll do one on that narrative with the cane going yeah. up,
1: going up uh, Normandy. I'm into that. So we can just tie Brazil into that one. We can do an entire series on the ways in which Roosevelt and Brazil are connected.
0: Sure. I don't know. Um, to kind of wrap up this one. Yeah, the naturalist and the other American cherry. He returns to his Vermont farm where he had really not wanted to leave in the first place. He was already like a 60-year-old man on this trip, but he was in much better condition. And he lives a nice, happy, long life, about another 25 years of retirement on his farm. So he also has a pretty good end. Maybe it's a little shorter than that, but he has a nice retirement. Kermit, on the other hand, um, so he returns and he gets married to this woman he was completely infatuated with. He was just obsessed at getting back home. It's of the reason he was taking all those risks mm-hmm. on the river. He wanted to get back to his... Um, his beloved Kermit finds his way to the Palestine front in World War I in 1917. He's one of the first Americans to actually go fight. Um, he fights for the British, actually, which is how he did it. He sees all horrible things because he gets to fight in some of the Gaza battles there, which are um, absolute massacres, even by World War One standards. And then he goes and fights on the Western front and he sees more horrible things. And when he returns home and he has no real purpose to his life, he falls into pretty aggressive alcoholism. Um, he he and his wife slowly separate over time, um, though she continues to be like a, you know, really beautiful socialite and things. He's this like, he just really falls apart to the point where he basically goes the exact route of ro- of his father's brother, his uncle, and he ends up more or less in an insane asylum mm. because of his alcoholism. His, and... They managed to get him out of it when World War II comes around. So he's, he's in poor health for a long time. And they sent him up to Alaska at the beginning of the war because there is some active Japanese bombing of Alaska there. And they're like, y- you need to participate in like an active war front. And he, uh, he, he commits suicide up there. He shoots himself uh-huh. in the head in Alaska. He just couldn't continue without that high risk environment and when he got married and taken back to New York he he didn't have that anymore and he just fell apart you know Roosevelt's other sons participate in World War One Roosevelt's youngest son Quentin um, gets shot down and killed also incredibly risky man Ted Jr the one who has the can at D-Day he fights in the war and gets horribly wounded. That's part of the reason he has the cane. And um, Archie's the other brother. He also, you know, takes a horrible wound in the war. And then you know, all these Roosevelt men <laughs> are just like every young aristocratic man at, man at this time have that same experience. And then, you know, the, their father dies the next year. And he dies in his sleep. And the, the classic joke of for Roosevelt dying in his sleep is, well, good thing he wasn't awake. Otherwise, you know. He would have beat death up. I'm <laughs> hyper simplifying that into slang. Sure, sure. But it's the you know it He, it he, would have, he wouldn't have gone down without a fight, right? If you were awake, right? Yeah. The only the, the
1: only way death can get Roosevelt is by sneaking up on him. Yeah.
0: The lion is dead. Is the quote by his son? The lion is dead. Yeah. Mm. The, the old lion is dead. It's the quote his family sent to him. Sent out. Yeah. The son who found that out. But to me, the the crux of this story is. We have this amazing man in history with this this storied reputation, all these just grandiose things he did. Just having to constantly push and eventually just hitting that limit. But we've mentioned this when we talked about Aubert Ridge in World War I, and we've talked about the Shackleton exploration and um, William Walker's just let's go conquer kind of idea. That 19th century which again, the 19th century ends in 1918, 1914 really. That ethos of there's a big world, we need to go and explore it, we need to go and conquer it, we need to go and inject ourselves into it, just creates these fascinating stories of what men are willing to do when the expectation of a man is to go out and do something. And you're going to get men like Roosevelt and Rondon and Kermit who are just made of iron. And give us these fascinating, stupid stories. (laughs) (laughs) This was stupid to do. But somebody had to do it. So might as well be these guys. Yeah.
1: Well, and the reality that I'm sure... Lesser men had tried and just vanished into the forest oh, because yeah.
0: Miller has tons of stories of
1: those exactly. But that's that's you talk about like this era had these men made of steel or made made of iron, I guess was what you said. But, um, but it's it's fascinating because it's not just oh, this era had these like iron clad men, I'm sure every era has them to certain extents, but this was an era that would that would distill down just to the ironclad men because you send 100 plus men down the Amazon River specifically 250 men or however many overall had tried to do these explorations before this and you know you only see the iron the ironclad men come out the other side that's true like, survivor bias exactly yeah. so you you see those men more frequently and you hold them in higher esteem because we have proven which ones are iron. When 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 people don't have to do that, anybody could theoretically
0: be iron mm-hmm. because we're not we're not really trial by firing them. But it's also mentality. And we this came up in William sure. Walker. People valued their lives less than we do now. People value human life less than people oh, do now. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to say that people back in this time period were morally inferior. They just were surrounded by death so much more as a daily it, and risk. And it felt like
1: an acceptable trade-off because they also held their own life in that sense. Exactly. These days, you have you know world leaders and different people out there who will claim to hold life in high regard and will do literally anything to preserve their own, but then will also send other people to do dangerous things. And that was true of a lot of people in history too, but this is a specific type of person who went, we're going to do this. We're going to lose men along the way. And by the way... I'm literally bringing cyanide capsules because I'm assuming that I'm going to be one of those people.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm, cool willing, with it. I'm willing to die on this trip because the risk is worth doing yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: like, yeah, the human life will be paid in exchange for the accomplishment of this trip. And I am putting my own on the on the line for this. Which, to be fair, if you're going to value yeah human life technically less at least you're doing it fairly at least there's some mm-hmm. some honor in the way that you're doing it here,
0: which is what makes these people in these stories so fun to read is it's there are instances where these explorers do terrible things, obviously, but I can't really find any judgment against Roosevelt other than saying it's stupid, right That's the most negative word I can really come up with
1: well I mean' it's yeah and it also sounds like they endeavor to keep the uh their guides fed and clothed as best they can. Like you say at the start of this, they're not feeding the guys enough, but the Americans don't realize that that's the case. And and it sounds like
0: as things get a little more dire, they put more effort into that kind of thing. Father Zom treats them poorly. They, they kick him out. out. Yeah, exactly. Well, why would you keep this guy along? He's not a. He's not part of this mentality. Exactly. But yeah, lesser mentality would have kept him. Yeah. He actually. This will be the fun note. To kind of end with, when they send him home, he tells Rondon, I want to, why don't they carry me on a litter? Why don't we have four camaradas put me in a chair and they'll carry me home? Because that's what they do in some South American countries to the lady. Wait, the opposite of ladies, to the priesthood. And Rondon looks at him and says, no. And Roosevelt says, you will not do that to these people. And then his, they all sign the letter and kick him out. Oh my gosh. So that remember, that's how we started, was this like fun touristy trip. And they end up going down the river of doubt. Roosevelt is killed in the end by this trip, but he does survive, he does achieve his goal. He pushes himself, he pushes himself, and he lives to death. But in the end, it's just another story of exploration. God, Zahn is the worst.
1: Thank you for joining us, uh, to check out the sources we use, including the amazing book, the river of doubt by Candace Millard. You can, uh, click the links in the, uh, in the show notes to discuss the show. You can join us on Facebook, Instagram, or any of those other social platforms where you can talk to Kevin and I about the episodes, suggest topics, et cetera. Once again, if you can take the time, send it to a friend, uh, share the show with somebody that you think would enjoy it. And please, like if you've got the time, give us a review on iTunes. It really helps the show out. Uh, it helps grow it, get in front of more people. And, uh, is a good motivator for us because we don't have rivers to conquer. Until next time, thanks for listening.